he appeared to only have one rule in his head about what poetry is, and that is that it has to rhyme. Truly nothing about depth, meaning, you know, mm-hmm. layer, none of that. It's just like, <laughs> we yeah. have to rhyme. You can really see that manifest. Depths of Wikipedia. You're listening to Depths of Wikipedia with Annie Rowerda and Ha Jin Yu. Nick Aspen. Funny, he never married. I thought this was a metaphor. A place known as the body part. This place got old man stink. Harry Ball. It's time to invoke the first law of holes. Oh, cat. When you're in one. Tell us about your bike, the last Stop, Higgins. Doctor, what about the Highway hypnosis. A ghost mall. Press any key to continue. Depths of Wikipedia. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Depths of Wikipedia podcast, hosted by me, Annie, and my best friend, Hajin. Today, we are going to Hi. explore the best poet that you've ever heard of. But the thing is, is that maybe you've heard, never of heard of Well, now you have. And his name is William yeah. McGonagall. And on Wikipedia, Wikipedia often doesn't say best, worst. It's, it's mm-hmm. not big on superlatives, but with William, it throughout... One of the worst of all times. That's a quote from Wikipedia. So, Hajin, Seth, just to start us off, what do you think about poetry? Poetry is... Personally, I think it's pretty subjective. And while I was reading about William McGonagall, there were a few moments when I was like, it's not that bad. Am I crazy? Hajin, when I posted this article on Depths of Wikipedia Instagram, it was a few months ago... The overwhelming majority of commenters said something along those lines. Like, oh, this is way better than I expected. (laughs) I just, I've never been a fan of poetry personally. And I think it's because I've I've never been good at it. Because one of the things that I see in McGonagall's work is that it rhymes a lot. And a lot of people are just like, poetry isn't just supposed to rhyme. (laughs) If you think that's all poetry is, you don't get poetry. And it's just like, yeah, but I mean... That's all I kind of really get about poetry. So that's as far as I can take it. Yeah, right. I get lost with the stanza and the other stuff. Rhythm. Rhythm's really hard, too. I think that when poets try to follow a formula, like iambic pentameter or rhyme or whatever, sometimes to me it seems kind of tacky. And then the other thing is that sometimes when poets are just so hard to understand, like you just have to close read, like you have to truly like be your English teacher with the pen, marking it up. That to me is so exhausting. But that said, I have a soft spot for poetry. I kind of like like an uh, irreverent beatnik poet or like (laughs) in the New Yorker the other day, they had a, they had a poem about comparing a kid's birthday party to a bottle of wine. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) clever. So, I like it. Wait, also, <laughs> you can edit this out, Seth, if Annie deems that I'm putting her on blast too much, but I checked out her Goodreads once, and she gave Milk and Honey five stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that being said, people who um, neither particularly understand or like poetry, should we um, start our assessment about the world's worst poet? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Let's um, get into it. 
Yeah, also, just one more thought about bad poetry. Um, I just will never forget the day when I, a, a young girl, went to the grocery store and saw Star Magazine mm. just absolutely out Jennifer Aniston for being a bad poet. <laughs> I looked it up. She wrote to John Mayer in 2009. <laughs> Are you ready for this? <clears throat> we, have, we have six lines. Lucky in love. Lucky in love. <laughs> Didn't forget me when I asked you to leave me didn't forget me now you're alongside me you've brought luck to love <laughs> i've been hit by a truck <laughs> in love so with that last line is so is she in love and getting hit by a truck or is the truck in love and hitting her that's the <laughs> question that is, that, she left that to the readers that's what they should have asked at the friends reunion <laughs> I've been hit by a truck in love. Can you can you unpack that, Jennifer? Can you unpack that? We can let Ross and the other people talk later, but Jen, let's unpack. They're gonna be like, you know, actually I've been hit by a truck. <laughs> Without further ado, the man, the myth, the legend, William Topaz McGonagall, lived from 1825 to 1902, and he's a Scottish poet of Irish descent, and he won notoriety notoriety as an extremely bad poet who exhibited no recognition of nor concern for his peers' opinion of his work. He's he's the worst poet of all time. There's a lot of bad ones. He's often called the worst, um, which is kind of brave. And considering that it's poetry and not something that humanity depends on, like imagine if you're the worst surgeon of all time. That's that's not a laughing matter, but no one's dying. Um if you had to be famously bad at something unimportant, what would it be? Um, world's worst bad friend. <laughs> so are you the? You're a good friend. So you're I'm the a best good friend. friend. <laughs> good, yeah, really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. true. You oh already are that. Yeah. I mean, language is fun <laughs> like that. Double negatives. Um, poetry is actually rap without the rhythm. <laughs> wow, you're kind of a poet yourself, aren't you? <laughs> I'm a little bit of a William Topaz McGonagall. <laughs> Should we make that meme where it's? <laughs> world's worst bad writer yeah that's gonna be my subject line to my application to the new yorker like, Hi, imagine the world's worst bad writer <laughs> so what about you well i was i was just gonna remark on like the the idea of fame behind this like the fact that he is famously bad like because there are probably more bad poets in the world than good, right? This guy still had notoriety for publishing his stuff. Was he wealthy? Um. Well, he was supported by his friends a lot. Like, he had a lot of benefactors. He did. He also, when he was performing, I mean, we'll get into it. Eventually, he could not perform because the riots were too wild. Um. He was making... 15 shillings which translates to between 75 and 100 a night which is again he's not rolling it in but that's more than i'm making for bad poetry he actually wrote an autobiography all of which um is available for free on mcgonagall-online.org.uk hashtag not sponsored (laughs) but i will accept a thank you from the foundation um 
So I'm just going to let him <laughs> tell his life story. Um, and you guys can interrupt me because it's a bit of a paragraph. So if there's like a moment you want to like interject, I'll allow it. Um, so also you can feel free to use a working class Scottish accent. Please um, do, actually. To be really honest, set the scene, please. I can just do one really solid line from Brave. Are you guys ready to hear it? Uh-huh. Mom, it's my buh. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. Um, actually, yeah, I'm not Scottish. Um, and neither not is... Not good. <laughs> neither is um, McGonagall. Let me, let me just start the autobiography. So here it is. <laughs> my dear readers of this autobiography, which I am the author of, <laughs> Great, that's what an autobiography means. Um, I beg leave to inform you that I was born in Edinburgh, sus. My parents were born in Ireland, and my father was a handloom weaver, and he learned me the handloom, weaving while in Dundee, and I followed it for many years, dot, 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 and then I skipped ahead. But I, mu- I may say Dame Fortune has been very kind to me by endowing me with the genius of poetry. <laughs> I remember how I felt when I received the spirit of poetry. It was in the year of 1877 and in the month of June. Oh my gosh. It could have been like this day um, a couple hundred years ago. Really makes you think. Um, Lamenting to myself because I couldn't get to the highlands on holiday to see the beautiful scenery when all of a sudden my body got inflamed and instantly I was seized with a strong desire to write poetry. So strong, in fact that in imagination, I thought I heard a voice crying in my ears, right, right. And um, yeah, that's that's how he started writing poetry. Like, like I guess he's saying like God told him to. Like he had like this like- That's my application to the New Yorker. <laughs> I was seized with a strong desire to write poetry, so strong that I heard a voice crying in my ears, right, right. <laughs> Sincerely yours, the world's worst bad poet. <laughs> I include that line with whatever occupation I'm applying for in my cover. <laughs> I heard a voice crying in my ears, manufacture, manufacture. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys can take this for free. Listeners, if you need a cover letter, we know they're tricky. We got it. Just do, an, uh, do a Mad Libs with McGonagall's autobiography. <laughs> this is what LinkedIn doesn't want you to know. But yeah, so... As I mentioned before, I hinted at his um, heritage being a little sus. So he claimed to be Scottish, but like his birth records say that he was um, he was Irish, and they think it was he lied about it so that he could benefit from. And this is the real name. It was called the Poor Law of eighteen forty five, which was just like a form of welfare. They just kind of like, yeah, they just called it Poor yeah. Law back in the day. I'm really, I'm really waiting for Biden's useless sack of shit act. Um, I'm, I really think that's gonna come through soon. I hate America act. <laughs> But I was just, I was going to say, like, not only did he lie about where he's from, he also claimed to be, have been born in, like, 1825, but it's also maybe 1830. Um, And I thought it was interesting because in his C also, they cite Tommy Wiseau, who is also famous for being, like, really earnest about his craft, which is bad, and also lied about where he's from. So just a little fun 
Fun fact. Wow. <laughs> McGonagall the grifter. So, so you're suggesting William McGonagall is D.B. Cooper. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I hate D.B. Cooper. That's a personal thing. You can edit that out. <laughs> I don't want people to be like, why does she hate D.B. Cooper? Okay. I do want people to ask that question. Anyway, I've been very eager to share this. He actually wrote a poem. Yes. You guessed it. He wrote a poem about his love for William Shakespeare. And here's a here's a few lines that I thought were good. Immortal William Shakespeare, there's no one can you excel. You have drawn out our character remarkably well, which is delightful to see enacted on the stage. For example, Romeo or Othello in a rage. <laughs> He's like, remember these people in Shakespeare plays? <laughs> this, is, this is William Shakespeare? And these thoughts are about as deep as a 10-year-old doing this at an after-school program. <laughs> well, yeah, no, like I was going to say, like he, he really liked... Um, he loved Shakespeare, as we saw. He wrote a little fan um, poem, <laughs> and he like um, he would recite Shakespeare for like the bros down at like the the weaving loom, and I guess they enjoyed it because they even like paid a local theater owner to cast him as Macbeth for like the a play they were putting on. And like th- when I read that, I wasn't sure if it was like. It was like, oh my gosh, this nerd who loves Shakespeare, like, <laughs> let's let's make him do Macbeth and we can laugh about it and then pour pig's blood on his head. Or was it like, you know, w- William McGonagall, he's got a passion, let's help support it. Like, I just didn't know how to read it, you know? He's a good guy! <laughs> William McGonagall is just these guys' joke gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> so let's dive into this man's career. I also should say, we didn't get this in the autobiography, or at least our excerpt. He didn't start writing until he was 52. That big epiphany, the, the right, right! That was, he was 52 years old. Um, so it's never too late. You, listener, can become the worst at something right now. Okay, so so he got to the age of 52 and he like his family was like, "Hey, we would really love like somebody to support us." And he was like, "I know what I have to do. I have to follow my passion." And went off and wrote and like his family was like, "Well, we were thinking maybe like something that could make money." Dad. <laughs> well, he chose passion. <laughs> and and he chose hunger for his kids (laughs) well here's the thing we'll get into it but being famously bad is still famous and he made some money off of it let's get back into his career so he's 52 he has you know gotten this message from the spirit that he must write write and he popularized doggerel style it's it's described as having irregular rhythm and rhyme um many remember it with affection despite its technical flaws um He appeared to only have one rule in his head about what poetry is, and that is that it has to rhyme. Truly nothing about depth, meaning, you know, layer, none of that. It's just like, we have to rhyme. You can really see that manifest. Yeah, so he started writing for a paper, which, again, is crazy. Back in the olden days, you could just write for a paper. Um, But he did. The Weekly News would publish his poems but they would pair it with just like very ironic commentary and they didn't do this with any other poet and so McGonagall took this as okay they're giving me some comment commentary he thought it was artistic recognition 
Um, and then following his, you know, he got this cult following by people who are reading the paper and are like, who is this guy? Um, he started performing at local theaters. So he would <laughs> recite Shakespeare, but then he would also read his own works. And this is the part where it's like, okay, this is something special. This isn't just a middle school bad poet, like 15-year-old in her journal. Like this is <laughs> This is greatness. <laughs> he started attracting raucous crowds. This is this is the best. <laughs> this is why he's the worst, okay? He started attracting raucous crowds and they would mockingly encourage him. Sometimes they would carry him above their heads in the streets. When he was reading, they would pelt him with garbage. They would they would riot. People would riot over the It's people are riot. The, the, like, it's just talk about snowflakes these days. They are rioting, rioting, you know, throwing garbage about a poet that they don't think is that good. Like seriously. Would he um, keep reading? Would he keep going? Yes. Yes, that's the thing. He really committed to it. So, um a list of things that were thrown at him according to an article in Laugh-Ins Quarterly is potatoes footwear oh my god rotten eggs fish sacks of soot (laughs) peas snowballs and on at least one occasion a brick like people would get uh, again it's like you know 18 you know 1890 what else is there to do but still like riots in the street you're throwing a brick at someone that you think is a bad poet imagine mfa classes if people could do that like imagine if the annoying guy in your like literature class in college you were just throwing a brick at so anyway his career just absolutely took off at that point i it took off at that point. I think that's sick, though. Like, imagine like getting that kind of reaction from your work, from from your writing. I mean that that must have been what actually encouraged him. Where it was just like, look, my writing is moving the people to to act, to do, and then, but like it was like the the worst guy. Like, ah, I live on a boat. It's on a moat. Yes, give me your sacks of soot. <laughs> Which also, just a weird thing to bring to a poetry reading, <laughs> just aside from that. Well, and I think that he did, like, what so many people... Yeah, when I think they were, like, so many people prepared. try to do these days. I hate, I hate the fact that I'm quoting this person of all people in the world, but as you might recall, Kent State Gun Girl, she has this saying, and it's called, monetize the haters. And honestly, like, I mean, I don't really support her in very many of her endeavors, but in this one, I was like, you know what, Caitlin, you really did monetize the haters. I have to give it to you. But that's what he did, too. Like, all these, like, terrible, like, commonly hated people, like, Donald Trump Jr., <laughs> they go on Cameo and make $500 to say something kind of stupid. And... Hey. <laughs> Yeah, but William McGonagall didn't also um, embolden the alt right, so I think I I think I'm more on McGonagall's well, side. Well, we don't here. know about that. That's fair. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm a little worried. I would say he truly set up the the groundwork oh. for MAGA. America. You're probably right in the fact that he was taking advantage of a marginalized <laughs> Scottish people to make money. Uh, <laughs> this is really a slippery stuff. So, oh my god. Um. Yeah. So there's what. What did he write about? That's the thing. He's 52. Like, you know, he's clearly, like, been gotten voices. Like, he has to write. And it's so, um, 
interesting to me that he just really turns d- to disaster. Um, some might say it's a metaphor for his poems. It's a little meta. But he has 270 poems attributed to him. Quite the wow. powerhouse. Oh. Right, right, right. Um, 12 are about funerals. Six are about fires. 50 are about battles. 24 on maritime disasters. And their their titles are also just very, like, straightforward. No, no playing games. It's like the terrific cyclone of 1893 or the Pennsylvania disaster or <laughs> the wreck of the steamer Stella or the great yellow <laughs> river kind of like in, in China. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> the terrific cyclone of 1893. Jack and Annie are on the case. <laughs> um, okay. So um, his, we already talked about how he just felt this compulsion to rhyme, um, but a lot of his rhymes weren't super great, like rhyming sublime and Fine. That was one of his favorite rhyme pairs. That one shows up, you know, many, many times. Um, but then another thing that just to me, like, is I cannot, I, I burst out in laughter when I read it, is that nearly every poem, which is mostly written about disasters, end with some sort of assertion that these events will never be rego- forgot. <laughs> this will never be forgotten or this will be remembered for a very long time. <laughs> and then, yeah, so it's just this, like, repetitiveness. Like, he also writes with a lot of like specifics which i mean sometimes in poetry it works but for him it just kind of sounds like a grocery list or like a like a like a news article like quantification and anyway it will never be forgot you had said so do you think do you think that when the audiences went to see him perform they like built up to when he eventually would say that where it like it would be like and the pennsylvania disaster and it's like he's gonna do it he's gonna say it he's gonna oh no he's gonna say it and it's like we'll never be forgotten like oh he said it bags of soot just (laughs) (laughs) he's pelted with a brick (laughs) well i think that he was kind of right because he like he like commemorated all of these like the fact that we're talking about these really minor like we're talking about the terrific cyclone of 1893 in 2021. Like, Can you hold on, right. hold on, Annie? Tell me about the terrific cyclone of 1893. <laughs> I have to Google it right don't now. Don't look it up. Um, I'll tell you what happened. No, don't. No, no, it will never be forgot. Oh, I want to know all no. about it without looking it up. Oh. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I don't know anything about it, but I'm sure that some people have not forgotten it. <laughs> I'm sure that it's not completely forgotten. Moving on. Yeah, Moving please. on. So, by the end of the 19th century, one William Topaz McGonagall was banned from most public performances <laughs> in Dundee uh, just because of the all-out uncontrollable riots that he would create. Um and he had just developed this like cult following. Imposters would imitate his work and send it to local newspapers. Then there's also some details in the Wikipedia article that I really wish that they had more about, but there's I just can't find a ton to flesh these out. But one of his sons, one of McGonagall's sons, was accused of breaking the ribs of a lo- local rope maker. 
I don't know. How, how do you think he, he got into that situation? Breaking the ribs of a rope maker? So wait, is this, Can but is this as a result of, <laughs> of, is this just like an aside, like about his family? This is just an aside about his family. Oh, okay. Um, I wasn't sure if this was like, ah, you, you take yeah, on wait, my dad oh, and now okay. I've come for you. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> so William McGonagall is, started when he was 52. By this point, he's, you know, late 60s, 70s. He can barely leave his home without being ridiculed <laughs> on the streets with the vehemence that verged on assault. So, and this, this is another, uh, this is the point where I'm like, okay, so if this dude's doing it as a bit, if this is, you know, just like a, like a Mr. Bean situation where he puts on an act, um, where he's this like lovable doofus. Like, Wait, do you think that Mr. Bean's putting on an act? <laughs> oh, oh, man. <laughs> There's, do you think it's just. <laughs> no, 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 no. Or the do you character think Mr. Bean. Is- I asked Mr. Bean, or do you think in the Mr. Bean... He's a genius. (laughs) Wait, but... How do Rowan Atkinson is putting out an act when he becomes Mr. Bean? And I'm just saying, perhaps our our beloved William is doing the same thing. Mm, But at this point, like, okay, so he's made some money, not a lot, not a lot. He's definitely created a lot of like stories and laughter and excitement in his own life maybe he's just a thrill seeker but if the whole thing is staged if it's all a charade like this is the point where it really sucks like he can barely go on the street without <laughs> without a vehemence that verged on assault um kind of sad i just i mean know. no you're absolutely right this is where it actually does suck because like I feel like up until this point, he was just like, ah, I'm getting a, no, it's not even that he's getting a rise out of people. It's just like, I get to make my art and like, some people don't like it, but I can keep making it. And like, now it's like, your art is so bad. We want you to stay in your house until you stop. Well, which is kind of sucks. Just like, I was going to say, like, I can't imagine it happening now, but do you guys remember when like Justin Bieber was like, first like up and coming and everyone just collectively decided to like cyber bully him for a bit <laughs> or yeah, was that just me no was i think it- there's this like weird no Were i you- think there's this like mob <laughs> justice like people love to hate people Cancel it's like culture sorry wait said. what's the word I'm, I'm i think i'm gonna say the word wrong shoyden mob mentality shoyden oh yeah people just yeah. love to pick a pick a villain and then pounce on them all together um and just unfortunately that was that was our our dear william that was Will, william topaz mcgonagall this this is really interesting though i don't know because like it's almost like it's almost like he's getting the treatment that someone like Perez Hilton deserves, but he's not doing something like what Perez Hilton is doing. He's like... It's a really random person to think of all of a sudden. But Perez Hilton is like notoriously someone who's just like shitty, like just a shitty dude yeah. who's made money being yeah. shitty. And I feel like yeah. McGonagall truly is like just putting his best foot forward. Like, <laughs> right! Like so earnest. And they're, they're tr- like the public public response is truly just like your art is bad you shouldn't be making it go off and be a sailor or something like the rest of us <laughs> be a rope maker <laughs> the town rope maker is gone because of your son <laughs> we need a new town rope maker we're all out of rope <laughs> <laughs> that's probably why the bridge collapsed but that's a little foreshadowing 
Um, so he did get paid to write a commissioned poem one and so. only one time, and it was for Sunlight Soap. Here's one line from it that I just thought was really earnest and just straight to the point. You can use it with great pleasure and ease without wasting any elbow grease. Um, which, you know, what else could you ask for in a soap? So, yeah, back to his finances. He um, was a weaver for his up until he was 52. And then he became a poet. And then he wrote for the newspaper. He didn't make a lot of money off that. He did these performances. He made, you know, a little bit of grocery money. And then he <laughs> lived partly off the generosity of benefactors, which just raises so many questions. Who is paying money for for this guy to keep doing this? Do Are they doing it because they... A, feel bad for him. B, think he's so fun to hate, like love to hate him, hate to love him situation. Do they think he's good? Are they just completely like have so much money that they don't even know where it's going? And they're like, oh, I, I, I mean, oops, I guess we're paying this guy. Whatever. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oops, I guess my money is all of a sudden in this guy's hands. Don't know how that happened. <laughs> um. So Hajin did mention about McGonagall's acting career, but I have to tell you the best part. So, <laughs> William played a role in a Shakespeare play <laughs> in Dundee, and it was the tragedy Macbeth. Everyone knows what happens in Shakespeare tragedies. Everyone, or at least most people, die. But do you think that McGonagall, the man who is just so fixated on remembering everything. Do you think he would let himself die? Even as a joke? Do you think he would? No, he wouldn't. Uh, what happened was there's a fencing scene at the end. It's Macduff and Macbeth. And somehow he he, he got the titular role, but I don't know how that happened. Um, his friend's paying. So, he, so he's fighting Macduff in this fencing Wait, battle. and his friends paid him. Paid the theater owner. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Thank you. Um, he just didn't stop fencing. He 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 didn't follow script. He didn't die. So <laughs> so imagine you're Macduff. You're in front of the stage. You're fighting Macbeth, and he just won't die. What would you do? Hajin, <laughs> what would you do if you're Macduff? Like genuinely, what would you? Do? I would the kill him for not real. Dying. I would strangle him myself. <laughs> I'd be like, well, first of all, this this mofo shows out of nowhere with his stack of coins and swoops up. The Macbeth role that me, Macduff actor, has been secretly eyeing. And then he decides that um, he's not going to die. He's not going to stick to the script. He's going to make a farce out of this local theater. I don't think so. Just imagine the Macduff actor the moment he realized that fencing competition was real. Mm -hmm. And when you say the audience went wild, did they go wild for it or did they go wild for him falling and was it right. positive right you know that's one of those questions that i no. guess we're gonna have to wait to ask god in heaven because i don't know i can't tell <laughs> you that. gonna be like yeah um, i did tell him to write the- <laughs> i did tell him that and you get one question <laughs> <laughs> so bye so another detail of his just absolutely shameless ego that I think is just incredibly inspiring is that he traveled all the way to Queen Victoria to read her his poems. He thought he was going to convince her to make him the poet laureate. Um, so he goes on this big hero's journey. He's going to the queen. He's going to the queen. He's going to the queen. It's big day. It's big day. 
the guard on the door asked who he was and he he did not pay, make it past. So unfortunately he was not poet laureate, but honestly, like imagine trying that hard. Like that's that's kind of inspiring. Which leads us to a sponsor who tries so hard to make this world a better, more beautiful, more educated, more safe, uh, more free, um, and more not bad, good place. Depths of Wikipedia. This is an important message from the American Cones and Rods Association. Do you or someone you know suffer from Eigengrau? You may be eligible for compensation. A recent $4 class action lawsuit has weighed in favor of the Organization for Sun Staring, which determined closed eyes to be the root cause of Eigengrau or dark light. If you or someone you know reports seeing a uniform dark gray background upon closing your eyes, you may suffer from Eigengrau. Symptoms also include the eventual opening of your eyes, a slight preoccupation before getting to sleep about what that even is, and an otherwise totally normal life. If these symptoms sound like you or someone in your life, call 555-OPEN-EYE now, or visit www.depthsofwikipedia.com. And we're back. Um, we have been teasing this, um, this poem about a disaster that happened, which is his, his bread and butter. Um, is, should we? Yeah, so we should, we should like, say that in Dundee, Scotland, there was a bridge. It was new. Um, and engineer's worst nightmare about between one and two years after it was built, it uh, collapsed. I hate to say it. Um, but don't worry. We had a poet commemorate it. So that's the so that we story. will never forget about it. And <laughs> he got what he wanted. Lest we forget. <laughs> Lest we forget. So, and it begins. Beautiful railway bridge of the Silvery Tay. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I'm in fourth grade. Everyone's listening to me read for the first time in like 10 years. Okay. <clears throat> Beautiful railway bridge of the Silvery Tay. Alas, I am very sorry to say that 90 lives have been taken away on the last Sabbath day of 1879, which will be remembered for a very long time. Twas about seven o'clock at night, and the wind it blew with all its might, and the rain came pouring down, and the dark clouds seemed to frown, and the demon of the air seemed to say, I'll blow down the bridge of Tay. When the train left Edinburgh, the passengers' hearts were light and felt no sorrow, but Boreas blew a terrific gale, which made their hearts for to quail. And many of the passengers with fear did say, I hope God will send us safe across the bridge of Tay. But when the train came near to Warmit Bay, Boreas he did loud and angry bray, and shook the central girders of the bridge of Tay on the last Sabbath day of 1879, which will be remembered for a very long time. So the train sped on with all its might, and Bonnie Dundee soon hove in sight and the passenger's heart felt light, thinking they would enjoy themselves on the new year, wish their friends at home they loved most dear, and wish them all happy new year. Sorry, just, just rhyming new year with new year is like very brave. <laughs> okay. With their friends at home they loved most dear, and wish them all a happy new year. So the train moved slowly along the bridge of Tay until it was about midway. Then the central girders with a crash gave way, 
and down went the train and passengers into the Tay. The storm fiend did loudly bray, because ninety lives had been taken away on the last Sabbath day of 1879, which will be remembered for a very long time. As soon as the catastrophe came to be known, the alarm from mouth to mouth was blown, and the cry rang out all over the town, Good heavens, the Tay Bridge is blown down! And a passenger train from Edinburgh, which filled all the people's hearts with sorrow, and made them for to turn pale, because none of the passengers was saved to tell the tale. How the disaster happened on the last Sabbath day of 1879, which will be remembered for a very long time. It must have been an awful sight to witness in the dusky moonlight, while the storm fiend did laugh and angry did bray, along the railway bridge of the Silvery Tay. Oh, ill-fated bridge of the Silvery Tay, I must now conclude my lay by telling the world fearlessly, without the least dismay, that your central girders would not have given way. Sorry, I didn't realize how much he talks about the central girders. <laughs> it's like, we know what happened, dude. You don't need to, this is probably why the engineer died. Like, this is a diss track. That your central girders would not have given way. At least many sensible men do say. Had they been supported on each side with buttresses, at least many sensible men confesses. For the stronger we our houses do build, the less chance we have of being killed. Wow. Um, I'm speechless. So I wish you guys could see me. There's tears streaming down my face. <laughs> yeah, and Seth is actually like, he's sobbing. So we might have to give him a minute before he jumps yeah, back Yeah, sorry. In. Our, pr our producer is just, just like sobbing in a corner. He's rocking back and forth. It was beautiful. So I just wanted to point out that he actually wrote a poem about the bridge before the accident even happened and in the poem there are some pretty like sus lines like okay so one of them he writes explicitly beautiful railway bridge of the silvery tay i hope that god will protect all passengers by night and by day and that no accident will befall them while crossing the bridge of the silvery tay he wrote this before oh, the bridge collapsed my gosh he knew <laughs> I mean, like he knew something do you think he i mean i don't know okay, so we're all thinking it do you think that he had something to, to to do with it did he listen i'm not gonna try to um de what is what is the name what is decode what is the term i'm trying to say decode I guess I just don't want to um, disrespect this man who's been dead for a couple hundred years and perhaps insinuate that he killed 75, maybe 90 passengers. But I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna present the evidence and let people deduce. If any listener know? wants to make a five-part true crime podcast about this, we are not oh saying gosh. no. Go for it. We're not saying no. You have this idea. It's free. There's there's we'll not going to be a it. cease and desist from us. There is never not not going to be anything <laughs> bad from us. <laughs> Only support. Continuing on. So the engineer of the bridge, as you might imagine, was like devastated when he heard that the bridge collapsed and he actually died a few months after the accident because he was just he had so much guilt. But in this poem that uh, William wrote <laughs> before the accident, he explicitly writes, 
the famous engineers of the present day who have succeeded in erecting the railway bridge of the Silvery Tay. Like, he's just like, <laughs> these engineers are great. They did well. They succeeded. <laughs> and it just, it's insane that he wrote this before the accident. Like, it just feels really freaky, is all I'm saying. Yeah, that, that line where he says, I'm sure the buttresses will never give way. That, that one's really, really sus. It's so sus. Like, <laughs> I know, would you? it's like, you just simply... <laughs> Will you, like, push over a bridge for your poetry career? Because if not, you are not aiming high enough. (laughs) Well, that's just what I mean. It's like, you have to wonder, like, why? So we have the evidence, but it's like the motive, right? It's like, okay, he's a bad poet. And then suddenly he's like, I'm about to create a huge accident, mass murder type of situation. Have we considered the possibility that... um this is the reason people hated him so much is that he went around destroying things and killing people in order to find inspiration for poetry oh i thought you meant that the reason people hated him was because they suspected he killed 90 people well yeah that's what i'm saying (laughs) um also just a side note i thought he ended every poem. Like, I thought when he wrote poetry like this, he would end each poem with the line, which will be remembered for a very long time or which will not be forgot. But in this poem, he ends four different stanzas with the line, which will be remembered for a very long time. He really wants us to remember. So this is a trilogy, much like um, Alvin and the Chipmunks. So um, he wrote a follow-up to the disaster and it's called an address to the new Tay bridge and this one's also sus because it kind of sounds like a threat there's a line where he says <laughs> i hope the designers will prosper for many a day and he also says and i think nobody need have the least dismay to cross over thee by night or by day it's like all right why are, why are you saying this <laughs> nobody should be worried about crossing it's like and i hope the designers live <laughs> a very long time <laughs> and if you see a man slowly dismantling the bridge over time let him be just ignore it <laughs> let him be it's just, it's just the bridge inspector doing his job <laughs> This is the one time I would like you to forget. (laughs) (laughs) This is the one time. But the bridge actually, um, although it did sound like he was threatening another disaster, the Tay Bridge remains in use to this day and even won the British Construction Industry Civil Engineering Award. So kind of a happy ending um, on that end. Wow, I will never forget that. Yeah. We will never forget but we, you know who um, we also shouldn't forget <laughs> is the fact that he died eventually. <laughs> I couldn't think of a good segue. No, that's good. <laughs> that was good, and you better keep that in, Seth. <laughs> um, so, uh, William McGonagall, um, he moved to Edinburgh, his allegedly. hometown. Right? Allegedly. Um, and he became a cult figure there, but it didn't last super long. Um, and by 1900s, he was destitute and old and his friends were just like continuing to support him to get by. And then he eventually died in 1902 and he's buried in a unmarked grave somewhere in Scotland. 
So truly yeah, no that's... recognition for him. Unmarked grave? That's his nightmare. All he wants is to be remembered. He just wants everyone to remember stuff. Yeah. Um But he he did he did get a plaque. He also um so so yeah. he doesn't have any statues made after him in Dundee, but I did uncover um what appears to be a parking mm. lot called McGonagall Square. If anyone in Dundee can confirm, even better, go there. We would love to hear more about it. Send, Send pics. pics. We would we love, love to, to see, see it. it. Um, so there's so many lines of his, 270 poems. Um, there's so many. I can't really choose a favorite, but one that I did think was just endearing in the way that it reads like a like a ninth grader wrote it um, is from The Death of Lord and Lady <laughs> Dalhousie. So again, it's, he's writing about a tragedy. Alas, Lord and Lady Dalhousie are dead and buried at last, which causes many people to feel a little downcast and both lie side by side in one grave. But I hope God, in his goodness, their souls will save. <laughs> so that's, I, I, I don't, nice. don't want to say anything else about it. Snaps. Snaps. <laughs> you got me Snaps crying all in the around. club. Um, so my, the club, um, <laughs> but okay. So my favorite line is actually not a line, but so the <laughs> weird naming convention. <laughs> so my favorite line, it's not a line at all. I'm getting um, a bit away from the format. <laughs> I'm not like other girls. I'm Italian for some reason now. Um, uh, so the name of his poetry collections are as follows. Poetic mm. gems. Yeah. More poetic gems. Still more poetic gems. Yet more poetic gems. Further poetic gems. Yet further poetic gems. And guess what the last one is called? Last poetic gems. <laughs> yeah, he, he knew it was the last one. Um, it kind of feels like the Fast and Furious naming conventions. Or yes. I, I, or I wish it, it, like, what would it be? It would be poetic gems, then, like, two poetic, two gems. <laughs> And then Poetic Gems, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> and then um, I can't remember the fourth one. And then it would be um, Gems 5. And then the one where Paul Walker dies. So. And then the one where it, the summer when um, See You Again was inescapable. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, one last thing about that, though. The site archiving his works, the one that um, has his autobiography on for free, um, they have a little, like, section where they, like, take an excerpt from his poems, and it's called Aww. Gem of the Day. So I thought that was a <laughs> nice little nod to um, to to William McGonagall. Another thing I wanted to point out <laughs> was when I first saw his name, I was like, oh, McGonagall, who's another famous McGonagall we all know and love? My pediatrician. <laughs> yeah, she's great. I, it's cool that you're like 27 and going to a pediatrician. I just I couldn't say goodbye, you know? I couldn't say goodbye to Pat McGonagall. Dr. McGonagall. Um, <laughs> Dr. No, okay. Minerva McGonagall, um, a.k.a. the professor of transfiguration at Hogwarts. And I was like, oh, maybe that's just a coincidence. But actually, J.K. Rowling purposely 
named him, named the character after him. She said that um, William McGonagall is celebrated as the worst poet in British history. There is something irresistible to me about his name and the idea that such a brilliant woman would be a distant relative of the buffoonish McGonagall. Also, buffoonish is such a funny word. <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> Buffoon. Um, <laughs> wait, but also, sorry, I hate to like keep inserting these Harry Potter facts, but I was at one point a Potterhead, <laughs> still recovering. Um, and let us never forget. <laughs> let us never forget that I'm a once a Potterhead, now a turf. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, so true, Seth. Seth is on Twitter, and he knows about the discourse. Um, comment below if you know about the discourse. Um, but yeah, so I was gonna say that um, his collection of signed poems were sold at an auction for 6,600 pounds, whereas first edition Harry Potter books signed by J.K. Rowling only sold for 6,000 pounds. I mean, that really makes you think, like... What? Who really won? Honestly, you know? who really won? Justice served. Justice, Justice served. <laughs> um, I personally don't know if William McGonagall was a turf or not, but we don't have confirmation That's either fair. way. So, um, in this case, William McGonagall wins. Okay. So, what would you say are your final thoughts on McGonagall? Clearly, you're not going to forget him, but what parts are you going to remember? I, lest we forget, <laughs> I think that it just. It just goes to show that um, if you are earnest and you work hard. Sorry, I'm going to sound like a boomer. No, this is good. This is good. I think this is the note we should go out on. (laughs) If you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you might get pelted by potatoes for trying. (laughs) They always say like, oh, you know, just publish it. The worst that can happen is that people don't like it. But people never talk about how... That could also be a really good thing. Wow. <laughs> I think he, like, that tenacity to me as a woman is very inspiring. <laughs> Just, like, live your life, women. Like, stop stop using, you know, weak words on your resume. M- William McGonagall walked to Queen Victoria because he thought he was going to be Poet Laureate. Imagine going into your interviews with that attitude. Ladies, oh my rise gosh. up and yes. channel him, okay? <laughs> Ladies, buy those jeans Send that application, shoot your shot, because William McGonagall did it first. Girl, wash your face. Girl, wash your face. Girl, write that poem. (laughs) That's what God said to him. (laughs) And he said, you know what? I just might. (laughs) Okay. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. And please stay tuned for our final segment. Wikipedia. Hey, thanks for listening to the Depths of Wikipedia podcast with your hosts Annie Rowerda and Hajin Yu. The main and accompanying theme was composed by Kyle Imperator. Voices in the commercial were provided by Seth Glicksman. This episode was produced by Seth Glicksman. For more Depths of Wikipedia content, be sure to follow at Depths of Wikipedia on Instagram and TikTok. And remember, chances are you can get this week's wiki article on a mug at depthsofwikipedia.com. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe and give us a positive review wherever you heard it. And now, your weekly segment. Depths of Wikipedia. 
segment time. Segment time. Open the segment and see what's inside. So that was the worst poet segment ever. Time. <laughs> segment time. <laughs> that was the worst poet ever. That was totally um, freestyle, guys. <laughs> and we, well, it's actually inspired by Blue's Clues, um, but I, I don't want to get into it. Um, oh, there is a there is a list that many people have submitted, and it's just too big for me to give justice mm. to in the confines of the Instagram mm-hmm. squares. But just, I'll have you know, like, I right, love it. Right. I love it dearly. And it is, that is list of music considered the worst. Um, so I have compiled a, a few a few of my favorite entries on that list on Wikipedia. To make it on the list, you have to have multiple articles calling this this music the worst. And so there's there's albums, and then there's um, singles, which I'm going through. And Hajin, your job, and Seth, your job, is to guess if if this thing is from the list of music considered the worst, or if it's from either my memory or I got a lot of inspiration from the Rolling Stone list of music considered the best. So it's really testing your artistic artistic judgment here. Um, and I'm gonna start us off first with the song, Obla Di Obla Da The Beatles. What do you think? It's really simple. And that leads me oh, to believe that it's. Oh, I think. Life goes on. This kind of sounds. Okay, when you first said the line, I thought you were talking about "I'm blue." Da ba dee da ba. Well, that's no. one of the greatest songs. <laughs> that was, written, so. That's what that was on the Rolling Stones yeah, list. I think I that was number one. <laughs> um, that was number one. It was just that song. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna say it's the worst because I think you're trying to trip me up because it's like, oh, the Beatles, they're considered the best, but let's not forget that they kind of had a weird thing in the I'm 70s. Gonna, I'm Every gonna time agree. you say, let's not forget, I lose it. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna agree. Oh my gosh. Correct, correct, worst. correct. It is nice. closed by band members John Legend and George Harrison. It was voted the worst track ever recorded in a listener poll organized by Mars Incorporated, which I believe is a candy company. Very random. Next song, is it the best or the worst? The Eagles, Hotel California. Actually, okay, just knowing Rolling Stones and like the people who work there, <laughs> knowing them personally. Um, yeah, you're best friends with their editor in chief, right? <laughs> yeah, if I know anything about Andy, he's a huge <laughs> Hotel California stan. I'm gonna say it's on the best list, Seth. And I'm gonna, gonna bandwagon. Correct, correct, correct. It's on the best list. Oh my god. Next one. How many the more are on there? My shoulders of <laughs> carrying <laughs> Seth through this game. <laughs> I don't know if you got a little preview from that. Stairway to Heaven. Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven, best or worst? That's, I mean, that's gotta be on the best. That's gotta be on the best. No, be that's s- too easy, Seth. You re- you're being. You're being tricked with these tricky eyes. You're going to tell me Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven is not on Rolling Stone's best (laughs) songs list? Um, They they could hypothetically be on both. Oh my god. I didn't know that was an option. Is both an option? (laughs) Is both an option? (laughs) I mean, think about it. Like, Like, Wikipedia and Rolling Stone are just different places. Oh, yeah. Two different schools of thought. (laughs) <laughs> Stoicism and um, another one. And populism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say best. 
I'm gonna say it's on the best. I'm gonna say worst because I'm not a sheep. It's on the best. <laughs> I knew I was gonna make you like mental about it. You're gonna be like, why would she put this oh on? God, it's so Amy clear. Knew that I- yeah, I know. She's playing Amy 40 chess. So well. She's playing 40 chess, and you're like, oh, oh she gosh. wouldn't give us the answer like that. Um, okay, <laughs> next up we have one of my favorite songs from 1997, A Great Year. Someone one of my favorite people's born. Um, and it's the song I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Barbie girl by Aqua. Oh, I mean, come best on. or worst? Yeah. Um. Well, Seth, if you say worst, then you're anti-feminist. So I just <laughs> want you to know that. Um. So, Susan so B. Anthony that, actually wrote that um, in one of her books before she <laughs> yes, dies. So. <laughs> yeah, Susan B. Anthony um, actually went to France and then met up with Simone de Beauvoir and was like, let's create a song for the ages. Um, so I, think, I think I think RBG was there too, just for fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, notorious RBG was there. Gloria Steinem, they consulted her on the lyrics. <laughs> Seneca and, Falls, um, they actually yeah. they actually like beta tested it in front of the audience and they <laughs> loved it. <laughs> anyway, um, Barbie Girl by I'm Aqua. gonna say <laughs> So we established that it's a it's a feminist anthem and if you think Well it's everyone a knows that. Therefore Um I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's on worst, but I'm a woman, so <laughs> I can say that. Um so. honestly, <laughs> this is what I'm gonna do, kind of flipping it. I'm gonna say it's on the worst too, but it was put there by a man. Whoa! I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> okay, fine. You guys got um, me. Barbie Girl Aqua. It's on the list of music considered the worst. It was very successful, though. UK sales of 1.83 million, and it's a novelty dance track, but it's been included on some of the worst songs list, including number one on Rolling Stone's worst songs of the 90s, and it's in NME's list of 32 of the very worst UK number one singles of all time, and it was number one in the 1998 NME Award for worst Single. And then our last one. Are you ready for the last one? This is, I really like this song. Yeah. Hey. Hey. I hate that song. Hey. I hate that song. Don't finish it. Hey Soul okay. Sister. Hey Soul Sister by Train. What do the lyrics even mean? Um, okay. What don't they mean? <laughs> On the front, on, as a neuroscience major, let me just say that on the front lobe of your left side brain is just a really novel way of talking about the brain. <laughs> it's never been done before. <laughs> on the front, on is the it, front you you lobe like a bit more? of your left side brain. Um, I didn't realize that's what he was saying. I was just kind of like saying words that sounded similar. I think I was saying like frumble on the rain. I knew when we collided, you're the one I had decided was one of my kind. Ooh. Hey, that Hodgins thought the lyrics were frumble on the brain. <laughs> Okay, but you know what I mean. Like it's like um, Ellie Golding lights. Like what no even is Frumble? <laughs> no, but like you you can say the words, but they don't mean anything. Like lights by Ellie Golding. It's like shall the lights now stormy rounds to storm screaming because they call me. <laughs> that is that is the worst poetry of all time. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say worse for this one because because I think it's gonna be a matter of it's super poppy and it was in everybody's ears for like two straight summers. 
I think by that standard, um, see you again should be on the worst list. I'm gonna personally add it myself after this. <laughs> okay, so what do you what are your final answers? I'm gonna say worst. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say worst. Oh, correct, correct. You guys, you guys were ah, good. Ah, nice. So that was you guys have a pretty Flying good track colors. record. Um. Anyway, check out list of music considered the worst. And thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week. And please. Do not forget this episode, lest you forget. Do not forget. Go out there and write. Write! (laughs) Write! (laughs) Write! (laughs) Write!